Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha. Welcome to Island Conversations. We're here every Sunday on KWXX and B97, B93, and the interviews are rebroadcast the following Friday on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo. Today, we're talking with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. He was on the island on Wednesday, April 10th, participating in a forum at West Hawaii Civic Center, so we sat down in advance of that discussion. Lieutenant Governor Green is the first Lieutenant Governor from the Big Island. Josh Green was born in New York City, raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He got his MD at Pennsylvania State University and served in South Africa. He came to the Big Island as part of the Rural Health Service Program, a program in which your loans get reimbursed if you agree to serve in rural communities. Dr. Josh Green served as a state representative and then the state senator for West Hawaii and Kohala. At his core, Dr. Josh Green is a physician and he continues to use his medical skills, both serving as an emergency room doctor when he can and helping serve some of the homeless and those who need more help. In fact, you'll see him on TV wearing his scrubs out there in the community. Let's get to our conversation with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, thank you for being with us. Aloha. Aloha. Thanks for having me. It's great. Well, it's nice to have you back here in West Hawaii, but I have to tell you there's some things different since you became Lieutenant Governor. Just from the obvious standpoint, you have two security guards. I do. Uh, They are the sweetest guys ever, and they mostly keep me from embarrassing myself. I think that's the real plan. But they're uh, they're like big uncles to the kids, so it's been it's been a change. There's no question. But I miss coming back home, so this is great. So, what is the same or different from what you expected as lieutenant governor? Well, people do definitely take me a little more seriously now when I discuss statewide plans. Before it was easy to focus on regional uh, significant issues here in West Hawaii, uh, in Kau, where I had a home over the years, but now I'm able to put out a plan on statewide homelessness solutions or when I make comments about the healthcare provider shortage and I mention Maui or Kauai or or even Oahu, they know that I'm speaking as a a statewide official. So I think it's a a very different thing that way. When we talked last time, you had been elected lieutenant governor, but you had not yet been inaugurated. And at that time, I know you told me you really wanted to focus on homelessness, health care, things like that. But what have you and Governor Ige actually agreed are your main focus areas? Uh, so the governor's been really great to me. Uh, we have a warm relationship. We did settle on some of the same, which was chronic homelessness. And the way we define that is homeless, uh, the homeless challenge, especially when it's affecting people who have been on the streets for a long time, who have addiction or mental health problems, kind of the, the toughest nut to crack in homelessness. That was one. Another main focus the gov wants me to work on, which makes some sense, is the health care provider shortage, which we can all agree is a big deal on the neighbor islands, even worse than on Oahu, although it's tough there too. And then disaster preparedness. Uh, Because of my ER background, he settled on that as a good place where I could also be an executive partner, which I really enjoy because 
the whole state of Hawaii on the whole needs a lot of updating as far as our plan goes in case, God forbid, there's a hurricane uh, category three or four or five or even some other kind of uh, natural disaster. I want to go into the areas that you talked about, but first I want to ask you about something some physicians had written to me with concerns about the state's current plan for vaccines. It's a good thing that we are requiring children to be vaccinated when they go into school. But what the Department of Health seems to be missing in their requirements is that they are not requiring teachers or cafeteria workers to also be vaccinated. And clearly, those are the folks who come in large contact with children, all the children really, so even more than a child to a child. And then the second thing that they're expressing concern about is the fact that the new rules allow an exemption to be provided by any naturopathic person or physician anywhere in the whole United States or any territory. And as the doctors say, it's pretty impossible to even verify why they're being provided an exemption. So first, why aren't the teachers and cafeteria workers being required to get vaccinations as well? Well, we should. We should require them. That's something that the director of health hopefully will hear from me in the next couple of days. Anyone at a school, in my opinion, and I, you know, I'm not shy about supporting vaccinations. I do know that some people will make a passionate plea to not be vaccinated. And if they go through that process, we'll respect it. But uh, the workers themselves can, if they've never, for instance, experienced chickenpox, can get chickenpox. Or if uh, many years ago they were in a, a certain circumstance where they didn't get immunizations, God forbid they get measles or mumps. And so uh, that can then uh, be carried all around the school. So I don't want sick people that work at schools transmitting uh, these viruses or, or bacterial agents if they could have been avoided. So that's one. So that loophole's got to be closed. Uh, it should at least be as um, significant a request as for the families if they're going to ask to be not uh, vaccinated. And then adults can, of course, make choices to work where they want to work. Part two, I don't think that we should honor any uh, naturopathic or physician requests from out of state. We already have very clear rules that uh, our local physicians are the only ones, for instance, that can prescribe narcotics. Take, take that as one example. We try to keep that kind of standard here in our state uh, locally so we don't get strange drift of policy. And frankly, I don't think that there's any place for someone to have said from California or Washington State or Florida that a kid shouldn't be immunized here in Hawaii. They should go see a provider. If they want to ask for the exemption, they can go through the regular process like everybody else. Okay, you mentioned physician shortage. That is clearly an issue for everybody, but see here on the Big Island, we feel that more. So tell me how you, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, will address that or how you think the state can address it. So there's several things that can be done. We've already convened a team uh, to address this for the Gov and for our whole state. Uh, my partners are the University of Hawaii, uh, JABSM, Additionally, although Jabson is a part of University of Hawaii. And Jabson is John A. Burns School of Medicine. Exactly. They have a leadership team there. And then I've also brought in the private sector because I think that there needs to be some additional support. For instance, we're getting some very good leadership from Central Pacific Bank. Uh, there's a lot of interested parties that want to also see doctors come to the state of Hawaii and they can help. So by putting this group together, we've come up with the first part of a plan called Practice in Paradise and we'll be unveiling uh, our first draft in July and then at the September 7th statewide physician shortage meeting, which is on Oahu, we'll give a trial or a test of this model. The basic structure is 
it'll be a one-stop shop where any healthcare provider, doctor, nurse practitioner, uh, PA, whoever, can go to it, put in some uh, descriptors about what kind of practice they'd like to be in, where they'd like to go, and it will lead them right down a uh, pathway to show how much resource we can bring to the table to get them here and uh, what the options are to practice. We want to make it real simple because we think we can outcompete some of the big states like New York, California, uh, with our Aloha and with a benefits package, like some low-interest loans and so on. Uh, though we may not be able to compete with the big salaries that those states do, we have a lot to offer in Hawaii, obviously, and we just needed to simplify it. So it's meant to be a real simple process, a 10-minute process where, say, a doctor goes onto the website, he or she says, I'm a neurologist, I want to work on Big Island. We show exactly what's available, they see how much loan they can get, what relocation benefits they can get, and maybe even help for their kids for schools, and then they hit send and we give them the answers. That sounds really efficient and really fast. Now, would that apply for a doctor who is interested in working for just in private practice or Kaiser or you know insurance that's covered by HMSA or any of the others? Great question. So. The structure of the web page will be that it'll drop you down into the right zones. So let's say you have a preference to work at Kaiser. Once you go through that Kaiser part of the process, then of course it wouldn't do the piece of relocation if say HMSA was offering it. Or if you said you don't have any loans at all, then we wouldn't obviously have the part of the website that takes you down to get a low interest loan from a bank. So it's meant to be very specific to each individual because we know each individual person has uh, different needs. Some might have uh, a big bunch of kids and they want to make sure that there's a school very near to them. Others might be more senior in their practice, might already be in their 60s and just want to come for the last five years of their career and it would be a totally different uh, set of questions that we'd quickly put them into that would lure them here to Hawaii. I have heard in the past that one of the issues with doctors is that our Medicare reimbursements are lower than any mainland state and that we're more like Guam. And I realize that fixing that is not, well, let me just rephrase. I thought that fixing it is not possible at the state level, that it's a federal thing, but tell me what you know about that. That's true. Uh, we are among the lowest reimbursed states for Medicare in the country. We have the lowest Medicare spend per person per year as compared to any other state. Just to give you that example, we spend about $5,600 per person per year if you're in Medicare, whereas like in New England, they're spending 15000 per person per year, mostly because there's a lot of specialty services and fancy pants stuff you can get, and we don't often need it, yet we still have the highest lifespan, but that's a digression. Really, the deal is we would need to get increases at the federal level Next time they do a major reform of health care, we probably should have done it the last time when Obamacare passed, we should have made sure we got a bump of 20%. That would have solved that problem. But these are big politics, and I'm, I'm, I was still in a small P for politics at the time. <laughs> well, I've been told that there's X number of dollars for Medicare reimbursements, and if Hawaii gets more, somebody else gets less. Is that true? Do you know? That is true, unless you're at the kind of... Uh, the part of the bill where they're totally restructuring the whole plan. So, I mean, they did look, they injected a trillion dollars into additional health care when the Affordable Care Act passed. So that would have been really the time to at least consider taking this up. And we've always had other offsets. We get a lot more money per capita for the military. I think that is the way we make our case, though. We say that in order to sustain our hospitals and our provider base, which often takes care of our, um, our trusted and respected military personnel, 
we need to have those people in place, these healthcare providers in place, and that's a justification for having additional resources. So that's the kind of approach that I'm just beginning to take. I've found already Senator Shaw's to be a terrific partner. He stands out in my mind, although I'd like all four of our team, just because we're age mates and we've worked together for a bunch of years. On the subject of healthcare, which sort of leads to housing, you had talked about making, and and let me tell you what I think you said, but basically that lack of housing is a health problem for some of these really poor people. And I think that we, the state got a Medicaid waiver so we can consider homelessness as a medical issue. Talk about that because that sounds like it moves into addressing the huge homeless problem we have. And as I say huge, I understand the point in time count just came out and says that we have fewer homeless people, but that's one day one, so I don't think people are fully convinced. Anyway, back to the Medicaid waiver to make housing a health problem. Right, so I proposed that a couple years ago and they finally got it done, which is great. We now are able to use some Medicaid resources for housing support services. It's a big improvement. The reason it's a valuable tool, and I'll, I'll explain this to the listeners, is it sounds like, okay, you're gonna use Medicaid money for something different. Well, the truth is, if people are homeless, their average spend in the state of Hawaii is about $82,000 per person per year. What do you mean their average spend? Their average amount of spend that's spent on them to live uh, because they have to go to the ER a ton, because they get hospitalized for more basic stuff when they could have been well, uh, is enormous. And so with that huge spend at 82 grand a person per year, which is infinitely more than almost anyone else spends unless you got a cancer or a terrible car accident, because of that, the moment you put a roof over someone's head, we save a minimum of 43% of that 82 grand we get to save actually more like 70% if you look at the hard numbers. So by using this Medicaid resource, you actually recoup four times over your money. And I took this proposal when I got to DC last week, which is very fascinating, straight up because I was introduced by new colleagues as Lieutenant Governors, straight to the HUD Secretary, uh, Secretary Ben Carson, and I gave him a bipartisan proposal for a six-state pilot, which is to spend some Medicaid money directly on housing. Interestingly, I learned a lot when I was over there. I listened mostly. North Carolina already, and I'm now working with the director in North Carolina, already got their waiver, which goes even a little further than ours, to spend money direct, directly for people who are in crisis after they come out of the hospital for up to six months of housing or for up to two months, like first and uh, a first deposit and the first month rent if they're in crisis. So if you do that, while it sounds like a social program, really what it is, it's a health consideration because that frees up the hospitals, it makes them function better economically, and we save all of that waste. And so it's just a practical thing for my red state friends out there in the universe or people who are a little more conservative. It is a fantastic return on investment and economically it's smart. For my farther left friends like my mom, it's a humanitarian approach to homelessness, but The nice part is we meet in the middle because we all kind of care about people. It's just we come at it differently. And that's the kind of thing that as lieutenant governor and as a doctor, in speaking to your very first question, I found that people are taking more seriously. Like when I put out these proposals, as opposed to perhaps being dismissed because I was in a smaller office, now they're jumping on it and it's going to sweep the country. I mean, it's already caught the eye of the heads of CMS at the highest levels in healthcare and the director. And it's only a matter of time when people see that it's sensible, if it's going to save money, we'll do it. 
Well, and you said it's got the eye of CMS. CMS is the Medicare bureaucracy, as I understand it, right? Right. And so you just gave me an idea as I was saying that you're right. We have to save money in offset in Medicare and Medicaid in order to get higher reimbursements. I will use these savings as a rationale to increase our Medicare reimbursements. I was trying to think of an idea, and I didn't think of it till just this moment, of a way for us to increase our reimbursements without having to disrupt the situation for some other state. So this would be a perfect pilot for states to recoup their money, because I already made the pitch in my plan that we ought to be able to keep the savings if we have them, but I didn't have a mechanism until this second. Fabulous. This is fun. I'm so glad you came and we could have this conversation. Well, you know, Art Ushijima of Queens Medical Center, when I interviewed him a couple years ago, he had said one of their big issues was when they treat homeless people in the hospital, if they get out, they oftentimes come right back because they don't have any care. They don't have any way to really get aftercare. And that also dings the hospital for a readmit because hospitals are gauged on that. So it has all kinds of financial effects if you don't get people into an environment where they can be taken care of when they come out of the hospital. That's exactly right. And a brief interruption to remind you, you're listening to Island Conversations, and I'm Sherry Bracken. We're here every Sunday on KWXX and B93, B97 on the Big Island. And the interviews are rebroadcast on Fridays on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo. But excitingly, you may get these interviews and download them as podcasts anytime at KWXX. WXX.com. Today, our guest is Hawaii's Lieutenant Governor, Dr. Josh Green. Next week, we'll be talking with restaurateur and chef Peter Merriman. And before we get back to Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, let's get a word from our sponsor and a special thank you to Barry and Toby Taniguchi of KTA Superstores for sponsoring Island Conversations. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. Let's get back to my conversation with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, recorded Wednesday, April 10th at West Hawaii Civic Center. So I'm partnering with Queens on a program called the H4, which is hygiene center, health care, medical respite, and then housing, that medical respite being the third H, so H4. We just got the preliminary approval. We're signing the last bits of uh, paperwork to go forward. It will be a model that will save $30 million a year for the state, and it will take care of hundreds and hundreds of people, if not thousands, actually, in each region that we put these things. Uh, the reason for that is that a lot of times, you know, a person, if, if you or I have had, say, a knee replacement or a kidney stone removed or open-heart surgery, we can't go back out onto the street. But if after discharge someone does go to the street, they're bound to get an infection, it's terrible, and then sooner or later we're going to all pay for it. I, I don't care what anybody says. Either Medicare or Medicaid is going to get hit, and then taxpayers, especially in the middle class or higher, are going to pay for all of that. So we have to have a different system. I've created that system with Queens. And there are a lot of other great partners a part of that plan. I've got to give credit to HMSA. They're also helping fund this project. It's all private sector funded right now. And the savings actually go back into the healthcare system for the taxpayers. But it also creates economic opportunity because those beds that will be in the H4 facilities will instead of, uh, they won't be occupying the beds at Queens or Straub or Kona Hospital. So this is a part of a much larger plan. 
I'll be hiring a lot of people. I, was, I started that nonprofit and I had to step off of it when I got elected lieutenant governor. But needless to say, I'm still working hard on the, on the plan because I think it has to take kind of root in each of the counties. I want to talk about housing on the Big Island. And let's start with the people who are homeless, who have mental health problems or addiction problems. Because some people do want to get into housing, but those people are particularly challenging. And a lot of the solutions always seem to be Oahu-based solutions. So what's going to happen on the Big Island towards that? So what we've proposed out of my office, the plan I have here, and I, I describe it for the um, listener, is called the Lieutenant Governor's Initiative on Chronic Homelessness. So. What this will be is the pieces that will help us on, on Big Island is twofold. One, we have to better uh, in, enable ourselves to do assisted community treatment. That law is um, being improved as we speak at the legislature. That's so that if someone's got severe mental illness and they're a danger to themselves or decompensating, we can get them directly into care and evaluation. Hopefully people will get on long-acting antipsychotic medications. A shot, which will last for four to five weeks, is now available way, way better. But I'm not telling people they have to take medication. It just would be better. That's one thing. Two, the concept of kauhale, which is a, like a, a place to find home, I guess would be one, one way to translate. So kauhale is meant to be tiny homes, very inexpensive, on an open parcel of land with just basic infrastructure. We can get each unit in place for $14,000 per unit where two people can sleep in it. The total cost for each of these Kalhali would be about 2.5 to $3 million. It's kind of like what the mayor was beginning to work on in, uh, what do they call it, District 9 or something? Uh, Village 9. Village 9, yeah. And the truth is you have to stick with these things for a long time, as we know. There are always going to be some needs for security and social services, more importantly. But I'd like to see six of these Kalhali across the state at the very least, probably two on Oahu, Waianae and Waimanalo, one in East and West Big Island. The, I know that the legislators are very interested in doing one of these in the Puna area because of the volcano and the issues over there. We should have one in Kona. And look, people used to say the whole not in my backyard thing, the NIMBY. Well, as we now know, there are homeless individuals in all of our backyards because the crisis got quite serious. So that's what I would like to see for the neighbor islands. We have some monies that we have been using called Ohana Zone monies. I've asked for $15 million in the, in the upcoming years to do six of these. I'm working tirelessly, even this morning, with some of the council members on Oahu to get their act going. Uh, they've been very supportive. To also put monies in, I am going to see our county, our council members this Saturday here on Big Island. I'm coming back again this Saturday. I'm on the road a lot these days to encourage them, and I'll give them the same presentation. And I think that this is one of the uh, linchpins to a big solution. Well, it's good to hear that you really are going to do something on Big Island because, of course, everybody is concerned that it's not Big Island that's going to get treated, particularly because the legislature in their allocation of funding said they were looking at three shelters on Oahu, one on the Big Island, and we know the Big Island needs <laughs> at least two, if not more. So um, this is the governor's Ohana Zone program, right? How much money do you think actually will get spent? Do you think we'll really get it on the Big Island? Because, you know, Mayor Kim has put nothing in the budget for homelessness because he says the state's going to do it. So make sure, make sure we understand what you're really going to do for us. We held, back, uh, we held back resources for each of the mayors so that the Ohana Zone money could go to them. Uh, the mayors uh, have been very vocal, which is good. And I go to see Mayor Kim, who I'm very close to, 
um, frequently. So I try to see Mayor Kim every six weeks as the LG and get, you know, get to hear right from the horse's mouth what he'd like to do. But I'm a long-term member of this West Hawaii community, so I'm really aware of how badly our need has grown here. So we should have, we just really should always have two of these parts for the Big Island, two of these programs, one, one like I said, one east and one west because of the distance. You know, we talked about people with mental illness or severe addiction. How do you actually engage those people because it doesn't feel like anybody's trying to engage them and get them to be willing to move off the street and into something, whether it's treatment or housing. Well, it's super hard. One of the things that you mentioned before that we touched on was now we are, through our waiver, allowed to spend some of our Medicaid resources directly on outreach. And so the plans or the community health centers or the hospitals can get positions that they didn't have before because they couldn't afford them. They can get money now from Medicaid to directly engage. And engagement is good, but you still have to have services, medicine, or a place for people to go for it to be worth anything. So that is the other part. And that's why we have to build some structure. Although we have small shelters here and there in the islands, they just really aren't big enough. The other thing is when we talk about people's civil rights, which always does come up about taking people off the street more directly, The challenge there is you really have to, unless you intend to be sued for violating someone's civil rights, you have to have services. So having the Kauhale, having an H4-like program, which I've already begun starting on Oahu, because that's where the largest concentration is, though the problem is everywhere, you know, then people can be told you've got options here. You, You can get some help with your drugs. You can get some shelter. You can get housing. And if you don't accept any of it, then you know, you're going to be treated like any other citizen. You can't sleep on the beaches. You can't sleep in the parks or on the road. If someone has mental illness and they still are not accepting help, I am of the opinion that we should intervene because I think that people with persistent mental illness just get worse when they're on the streets. Women will be tragically assaulted almost every time if they are mentally ill and unable to defend themselves. Kids certainly get into gigantic trouble. And people are passively losing their civil rights, which is no good at all. So when you see some of the guys here in Kona that have been on their on their drugs or, or with mental illness for four or five years, they've lost their civil rights passively. And so I'd like to help with that. Uh, we won't be heavy-handed, but these are big problems that I'm taking up as lieutenant governor. The Big Island has several areas that are owned by the state, and I'll use as an example, there's an intersection at Queen Kalamano Highway and Polani Road right below the fire station. State-owned land homeless people, I think they live there, but they certainly leave their trash there. And we've been told that the state does plan to clean them out, but that doesn't mean just moving them out of there because they'll go someplace else. So for those state lands, do you have a sense as to what the state actually intends to do? Yes. So I'm on a statewide tour right now, and I'm going to be back for this purpose exactly uh, next month to look at lands that are either owned by DLNR, that's Department of Land and Natural Resources, Uh, Department of Hawaiian Homelands, if they would like to work on the program with me, uh, or other city and county lands, any public lands, uh, we can get designated. And I've really found that the directors are interested in helping me with this problem. So we we give the land over basically to the city or county, then they put in the basic infrastructure and we come over the top with the build out for the micro housing. That's the model that will work. Uh, Also have a nurse practitioner or a doc make rounds and, and offer help. That's really how we solve homelessness. You could do it, 
I'm not saying we should do it right at that corner. It really would be up to the communities to each decide, okay, where should we do it? But the general premise is do it on a stretch where you can get some access to public transportation and we have to make sure you have water and, and sewer. So you just do those things and the system works pretty well. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, we don't have any more time today, so what do you want to say in closing now that you're Lieutenant Governor? This is, by the way, so fun to have you. You know, it's good to get you back here. And also, I'm really pleased that you are continuing to focus on the Big Island. Well, I just want to say thank you to everybody. Uh, I had really a great experience being the rep and senator from West Hawaii for 14 years. And I probably wouldn't have become Lieutenant Governor without your blessing. So thank you, everyone. I'm taking those lessons that I learned from my days in Kau and in Kona and Javi right over to Oahu to make sure that they listen to us from the neighbor island perspective. Thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Aloha. Aloha. Thanks a lot, Cherry. And a little bit of additional information. After we turned off the microphone and we were just chatting, Lieutenant Governor Green, Dr. Green, told me that he's gotten some agreements from some big drug companies to donate medication that he can use for the homeless and the mental ill folks, especially especially the antipsychotic drug he talked about that is a shot, which lasts for four or five weeks, because that might make it easier for those folks to stay on their medication. We look forward to talking in the future with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green and hold him to some of his promises. You may see the entire forum in which Lieutenant Governor Green participated at westhawaiiforum.org. Now this is Island Conversations and I'm Sherry Bracken and I will see you next week for another Island Conversations. Until then, please let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken of Available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.